Hello everybody and welcome to an episode of Impactful Conversations. I hope that this finds you well wherever you're listening to this. My name is Tafatzwan Dlovu and thank you for listening to this episode. So on the show, I interview and speak to individuals who are making a difference in their world. Individuals who have a different way of thinking and are forming as leaders in their respective fields. I'd love to hear some of your feedback on the episode, either by writing us a review or giving us a five-star rating in the podcast app that you're listening to right now, or by heading over to our website, which is impactfulconversations.co.za. We also have a YouTube channel where you can go there and search Impactful Conversations, and you'll find us over there as well. We also have a newsletter that we do every month with some of the content from our episodes, along with some interesting pieces that we have come across. Anyway, wherever you're listening to this, Happy sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to part three of the Energy Expert Story series, which is powered by Seven Zana. Uh, I'm so grateful to have you here uh, listening and watching this show and listening to this platform. I'm so grateful for your interactions and for the wonderful feedback that you've given us uh, in order for us to continue building the community and building the platform. I'd encourage you to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to this and go to our website, which is impactfulconversations.co.za to let us know how you're experiencing the platform and to you know submit your questions today i am absolutely delighted to welcome to the virtual room uh tabo Mulakoa, who i will briefly introduce in a second he's the managing director of siemens energy in southern and eastern africa um, where he is shaping the energy of tomorrow in order to make the transition to a sustainable world um, he's a mechanical engineer by qualification from the University of Cape Town. So we have a commonality there in terms of the university we studied at uh, with his GCC. He also holds a Master of Business Administration um, from the University of Pretoria. He's previously CEO of Thaisen Krupp's uh, Sub-Saharan African region and is currently a non-executive chairman of the board of the Makana Energy Wind Farm. Um, he's passionate about bringing, he's passionate and active in bringing about a productive, sustainable and industrial Africa. And I'm thrilled to be able to chat to him about it today. Tabo, a very good morning to you. Welcome to Impactful Conversations. Uh, how are you doing this morning? I'm well, Tafatwa, and uh, thanks for the invitation. It's awesome, awesome to have you here. So, Tabo, we typically start off our episodes, you know, just by giving the listener a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Um, it's so, also a bit of a sort of reflection down memory lane for you. Uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself in the sense of, you know, where where were you born? Where did you grow up? And what are you passionate about? Yeah, um, so I I call myself a proper Gauteng, you know. I, I grew up in... Uh, in the East Rand, uh, uh, in Daviton, actually, and uh, uh, it wasn't as pleasant during those times. Uh, it's a bit rough. And, um, and later on, I finished my schooling in um, in Pretoria, actually. So uh, back then, it was uh, part of the the Putatswana you know, government before the transition, and um, that's where I finished my schooling. Um, so, so having straddled between uh, the East End and Pretoria, I could fully say that I'm a proper Gauteng. You know? uh, um, so, so that's that's where I grew up. Um, and then, uh, uh, 
career-wise, we can talk about it, but I think one of the instrumental things for me uh, when I grew up, and that probably talks to the passion, was around the people. You know, so we grew up in a space where we saw people suffering, we grew up in a space where we saw people uh, not having enough opportunities. So um, for me, it, it then becomes important to talk about how do we create a productive Africa. You know, uh, Obviously, you'd, in the spaces, you would you would you would tackle the space that you're in, but for me, it was around productivity has to do with uh, people uh, fulfilling their own ambitions, mm. people growing outside of uh, the spaces they're in, uh, and helping the next one next to them, and and so forth. So, what I'm really passionate about for me, and, and even in the intro you mentioned it, it's it's really around how do we advance Africans. Um, Amazing. And, and sometimes the question of advancing Africans does not say uh, we are ignoring Europeans or Americans and so on. All it says is uh, what can we collectively do yeah. to advance Africa, to advance the fellow next to you and so on. So that's really what, uh, call it, revs my engine <laughs> from a passion perspective. Um, day to day that guides the work that I do mm. and the directions that, uh, that I end up with. Uh, and doing yeah absolutely love that right you know in terms of advancing you know africa and i i love the focus that you have um on people i think that's that's you know that's really really uh inspiring and, and quite insightful if if we dive into your career um firstly talk to me about your passion for engineering um where did that begin you know was it sort of at varsity level before then um where did that start yeah it's a uh, i i i've been <laughs> someone asked me that a few months ago you know especially around career choices you know mm. what do you pick i i don't know when it actually started uh, whether it started or it was already there mm. but but i think for me as a mechanical engineer i've always been intrigued about stripping things out and then try and put them together i probably do it was job trying to put them together, but I'm excellent <laughs> in, in putting them apart. But I, I, I've always been inquisitive about what makes something work and, and how do you find other ways to make it better. Mm. So so that inquisitiveness, perhaps, uh, I mean, during, during our time, you couldn't pin it down to a specific career that you could point to. But at least uh, it leads you into spaces where somebody can say that sounds like you write space for engineering and so on, because I I in metric, uh, I mean uh, probably at yeah at metric actually somebody approached me and said uh, look there's a bursary uh, going around for uh, engineering I said, oh, okay what is that you know um, and that's how I ended up in mechanical engineering. Mm. Uh, as opposed to electrical or electronic and so on, um, because I just loved the the essence of uh, going back to basics and, and you know how things work and so on. Mm-hmm. So so that's that's where uh, it started. And then when you start opening up the book and the universe around engineering, then you get more and more interested in uh, not only the mechanical part, the electrical and so on. So. Um, the passion started perhaps at a young stage, a young age. Uh, you know, I had an uncle who could uh, uh, 
strip out an engine of a car and you know <laughs> and put it back together and um, always been fascinated and how did you know that how, how you know so that that's really where where my passion uh, perhaps got um, ignited yeah that's awesome i i i think you know the sort of inquisitiveness um is something i i can i can relate to um you know in terms of you know what actually makes things work what makes them tick what are the building blocks um you know what are the parts that you know the, the sum of the parts that makes the whole what are those parts um if you've obviously got your gcc um qualification and so on and obviously that you know means that at some point in your career you went about getting sort of the hands-on operational experience um and i want to know you know in what way was that important uh, to your perspective and particularly decision making now and you know adding on to that what advice would you sort of give to young uh, engineers and professionals who are starting out their careers with that perspective in mind actually i didn't finish uh, the gcc um, mm. i started at the got halfway through and then uh, switched uh, and I'll, I'll tell you the reason. So, so I, um, I mean, I, I, I'm a DBS person. So, right. So I got sponsored by DBS from an early age, mm. from metric. And uh, ever since then, I've been in the mining space. Uh, so first, first, uh, let's call it school break or varsity mm. break, you'll be, <laughs> you have to pick a mine that you have to go to. So um, at first, I think it was a, a bit of a rude awakening around, uh, you know, hang on, I'm an engineer. Why, why, why do I have to put on overalls and safety shoes? And, <laughs> you know, you, you don't, you don't first understand that. Right. Mm. So, and, and I think the, the picture in the engineer training program, you are brought in and with an understanding that you are going to become a manager. Right. So, so you then don't understand why then do I have to spend time on the operational level? What if we just skip to the managerial aspect? Uh, yes, I mean, that's our naivety at the time. Um, but I have grown to appreciate it. I have moved on to various roles, various organizations. And first thing that I always, almost always do is operations. I get down to what really makes this organization, what makes this department, Yeah. where's the heart of it? Because um, at the time, at least for us in the engineering space, uh, you were judged by technical competence uh, and you could be book smart, uh, but, but then, I mean, we, we found, especially in mines, what humbled us was uh, you find an old experienced uh, uh, person uh, with the metric, but they've been in the mine for a very long time. And then they are able to uh, almost uh, disprove your theories uh, <laughs> because of the operational experience, right? Mm. And then that's where this first appreciation that actually this is an important ingredient in one's career and journey. Right down to um, working down with an artisan and understanding the artisan, the artisan aid, um, you, you know, being able to to give that an ear uh, is quite important when you start. So once you've understood those and you start getting into then using your knowledge, we'll call it from a, from a varsity perspective and books perspective, 
but then couple it with the uh, operational experience, you then effectively are, are much more empowered and enabled, if you like, to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, because some of the decisions we do, uh, we don't always have perfect information, but I think if you have the exp- operational experience, then you are able to enhance the, some of the decision making that you do. So uh, that's that's where for me it, it became, um, call it a, almost a, a, a nice ingredient around how do you enhance your decision making. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, talking about, you know, really getting to grips with the sort of makings of, of the operations is, you know, something quite important um and really understanding you know what makes things tick what makes things work how do things work um how long do certain things take as well i think is also really important to understand um i think if you're coming from a theoretical background you might not you know understand why certain a certain you know task may take six hours <laughs> when in theory it should take one hour yeah. uh, but you forget yeah. the sort of steps you know that actually need to take place for that task to happen so i think yeah. it's incredibly important uh, what you shared there for sure yeah and i think uh, you know there's always a question uh, i always get because uh, we almost every role that I've been, I've always surrounded myself with young people, mm. They're younger than, than I am, certainly. But but I think uh, the question is always, uh, you know, so what should I do, right? You know, and the, the one piece of, of um, advice that I always lead to is, um, is patience. Uh, so don't rush through your career. Uh, don't rush through uh, jumping into managerial. Is spending enough time at the level that you're in to excel. And mm. I think we often don't don't encourage that. I think it's if this a few months ago I got asked by uh, uh, new graduates joining the organization, and they said, "So you know what what would you advise us?" As a, I said, um, uh, "Master the craft, right? That you're in." Um, mm because you, it will help you in the next uh, level in the next year. Yeah. And I, that's that's something that engineers, we don't have a lot of time for, mm. uh, you know, because when, when, when you're a project manager, there's no time to go learn. Um, you, have to know. You, yeah. you have to deliver at the level that you, you, you've been given and, and, and are sitting in. So that, that for me is a, is a good reflection. And I have seen it in, in, in various roles I've played in running. Mm and so on mm. once you run an operation you don't have time to uh, to go learn what uh, you should have learned as an engineer or, or uh, as a production uh, person yeah yeah i think that's an exceptionally important um piece of advice for sure and you know i think anybody who's listening to to this for sure is is grateful um to actually hear that from you and and you know along with myself for sure Let, let's talk leadership break um how would you describe your leadership style um, now? And I'm curious, has it evolved over time or has it always been like that? Yeah, you know, this is one topic that uh, is very tough. Uh, mm. I say it's very tough is, you know, that, uh, yeah, look, I'm a, a technical person coming from an engineering. And uh, as a technical person, if you want to know what is a, a speed of uh, X, you know, you will get the speed of X. It might be 
to the nearest decim decimal or yeah. whatever, right? It's precise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but leadership is <laughs> it's such a, a strange and tough topic because there is no definite answer. Mm. Uh, nor is it a definite style that works universally. Um, my leadership journey has evolved from, um, if you're in production, uh, it's very tough to to run a consultative uh, leadership style, you know, <laughs> consensus seeking, uh, you know, and sometimes I, I, you look at construction managers or, or people in production or in dangerous spaces or uh, sometimes you, you talk to, uh, you know, we do some business with the Navy and so so you talk to people who are in the army and, you know, so it, it's very difficult to say precisely this is the start. But what I have seen for me, what has evolved, I have moved for more authoritative um, and uh, almost pushing more and which is where I find my comfort is um, around a consultative style mm. uh, and and it requires extreme patience um, but also i find that it's a lot more uh, sustainable for me for my for my energy and also um, if you running an organization with various departments and so on you cannot be everywhere At every time. time yeah so you have to empower people you have to work with people uh, consultatively mm. uh, so that they are then in their own spaces are able to make the right decisions and the right call. So uh, always almost you'll find my door is always open. Um, um, so I, I consultative, it does not mean by the way, if you're consultative that uh, you're indecisive. No, I am. Uh, however, I think it's important that the next person leaves much, much better off, much more empowered mm. to to then take the next decisions and so on. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, I I recall the, uh, where I really saw, uh, you know, because I I switched when I was a bit more authoritative. Mm. So one of the, one of the when when I was growing up in in operations. Uh, to get promoted, uh, especially in the mining environment, you you know you had to be able to bang your fist on the table and, and shout. And yeah. <laughs> you could throw a chair, you would probably get promoted immediately, <laughs> be because that was a signal to say you are ready for the next level. You know you can run a production and so on. Mm. I recall I didn't do any of those, and then I recall one day I uh, I lost my temper, you know, and, and then uh, yes I banged the fist on the table. And then after the meeting, my, my boss came to me and said, yeah, you know, I think you're ready for the next level. That conversation has always stuck with me around uh, how can that be a right leadership <laughs> essential and skill, right? Mm. So from those days to where I am now, um, it's, it's basically a huge evolution. Mm. I see now a lot more sustainability around it. Uh, I see people... You want people to be able to speak up. You want people to be able to uh, approach you, um, and, and and I think that's that for me is uh, is something that's important around leadership. Uh, it is not precise, but but I think this one, at least the style for now for me, it works well.
it's such a this is such an interesting you know topic which which i could you know, talk for hours about you know because yeah. i i think i think you're right in the sense that they're they're uh, you know the sort of different styles um i also think you know certain environments sometimes are used to a, a particular style whereby it becomes more difficult to use for example a consultative approach um in an authoritative you know environment <laughs> um it almost seems you know counterintuitive but sometimes in those environments that's actually where it works best um you know to empower people um to make the right decisions but i, I think I, I i take a lot of interest in the fact that you know you your leadership style has evolved um almost in a sort of chalk and cheese you know type format where you know it went from sort of the authoritative to the sort of consultative uh, you know, side of things. So that's, uh, yeah, that's incredibly, incredibly intriguing and uh, insightful. And I think both both approaches are, or rather, let me say the consultative approach, you're right, there does require a bit of patience, um, which, you know, you know, is, is a cost in, in, in some in some areas as well. Um, but I think, you know, when done right, you really do actually empower people you know, to make the right decision when the time comes, because you can't be everywhere at, you know, same time for sure. And and I think, you know, the, the, the issue is um, because it's tough, it doesn't mean, uh, and it demands more, it doesn't mean it's not right. Um, yeah, yeah. So sometimes yeah. Uh, because it demands a lot more from me, it demands a, a lot more uh, <laughs> sessions of consultations and consensus, it doesn't mean it's a wrong approach. Absolutely. Sometimes we try and equate the you know, this is too much effort, therefore it might not be the right. No, it is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also good to see a leader imparting and, and enabling others to become leaders as well. Yes, yes, yes. I think, that's, I think that's how you build, right? That's actually how you build the future, is is to actually empower people um, to make the decisions. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, I think there's a quote by a, a famous author which talks about, you know, a, lead, a leader's legacy, that, mm-hmm. you know, the people that you lead must be able to survive without you um, because you have empowered them to actually, you know, make make the right decisions in your absence. So mm-hmm. we, we started off quite fast, uh, you know, talking about your life, your journey, uh, leadership, you know, advice to young professionals and so on. And... Um, but if I turn it down slowly, um, you you must be an incredibly busy individual. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, how you wind down. What do you do to relax, to to take your heart rate down after a busy week or after a busy day? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that the world exists, but let's see. I um, yeah, I, I, look, I I. Time is uh, it's a bit t- tough for me to 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 find the time, um, but I do have a number of activities that I enjoy. So I uh, I love the outdoors. Uh, if I had more time, actually, I would uh, I would spend it camping. Uh, so I, I do a lot of those. Um, so so a typical uh, winding down session for me would be one where. I, can keep quiet and uh, either read a book out somewhere in the uh, in the wild, right? Mm. So um, that very very often, rarely actually <laughs> happens. Uh, 
so so other than that i mean uh, in jova quite busy so but what i do uh, normally i would uh, um do go for a run uh, that's that's normally uh, the first thing i done maybe in the morning or the afternoons mm. but but uh, go for a run or something like that um and then the the space that i also have it's it's uh, i've got young kids so it's family uh, of course during during the week or when things are intense uh, i really 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 actually spend time with them so that that becomes my, uh, my other uh, alternative so so after the run and so on I'll, I'll then wind down with the family and spend some time with them mm. um, so that that's really how i i tend to wind down and I hardly watch tv sure <laughs> i don't think we have a tv in the house that anyone watches so mm. yeah yeah and i think time time is a precious you know commodity you know um particularly i think i think for yourself i think it, it, it must be incredibly um busy and you know all the more all the more grateful for me to to be able to to chat to you about you know your journey and and you know what we're going to speak about in a moment but before we get there um what's a typical day in your life so what's a typical if you walk me through it what, what time does it start what do you do when you start it you know what time does it typically end um yeah how does it sort of ebb and flow <laughs> how does it ramp up ramp down yeah i i i would define it as a flow right not, not i don't think i have a typical uh, day mm. a typical day is what i would wish for uh, <laughs> which actually hardly actually happens that way <laughs> so so i'll tell you about my uh, my ideal day in my head yeah. right uh, yeah yeah <laughs> it just deviates substantially sometimes from that so ideally i would uh, i'm a 5 a.m uh, actually I'm, a, i'm not a morning person interesting enough um mm. Because I see it on weekends, I I would sleep in on a weekend, but but ideally during the week, uh, 5 a.m. and then uh, I'll start off with a, uh, some quiet time, uh, I, a bit of a meditation and so on, and, um, and then ease into some exercises and stretches and so on. And then uh, ideally from there, it, uh, when you open the door, look at emails, that's when it deviates, right? But, but I think what I, I tend to do when I've uh, uh, somehow think I found a sweet spot is, um, is I want to take my kids to school. So uh, that's the time that uh, the team also knows that, no, 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 just give him time to drop off the kids before uh, it starts raining, right? So. Yeah. Um, so that I do that, and then I grab my first coffee in the morning. And then the first thing that I'll do is uh, look at the calendar and look at the activities and so on, and then uh, jump into emails. Mm. So, so that's typically how it starts off. And then normally the first sort of uh, morning meetings, and then jump into topics, and then it really starts quietening down, uh, call it after four, after five. Uh, and then I can have my own time to do uh, other aspects and so on. Mm. And then um, later in the evening or early evening, then I would uh, uh, look at the following day and some of the strategic topics and, and, and mm. so on. And um, then, yeah, head, head home, uh, right? So uh, for dinner and then uh, open up the laptop again in the evening. 
so mostly get to the day end the day around 11 p.m. Mm. So if if a typical one is around 11 p.m., then I would head off to bed. So so from a from a you know you describe the flow. I, I flow perspective. Uh, I I normally use my energy levels. Mm. I, I follow my energy levels. So in the morning they're not that great. Uh, and then it sort of picks up up until about lunchtime, mm. uh, and then um, it drops off again. Yeah. And then, strangely enough, it picks up in the afternoon. Sure. So okay. I become more active. That's why I sleep late. Mm. I become more active from from late afternoon till midnight at time. So mm. that that's how the so I put tasks depending on okay. mm. how much uh, effort and and and. Um, thinking they require in those sort of uh, energy energy spells. Okay. And I think one of the most important things is actually knowing, you know, yourself, um, knowing, you know, what you or when you peak um, in the energy level space so that, you know, you can sort of plan accordingly, but also knowing, you know, when the sort of energy levels are depleted, you know, so that you can slow down and, you know, when, you know, you have energy again to speed up. I think it's an incredibly important aspect uh, and skill, actually, um, which takes some time to learn for sure. So thanks very much for for sharing that with us. It's it's, it's quite insightful. Um, And I want us to talk about building the future. particularly for South Africa and Africa at large, um, with a particular focus on energy. So I suppose, firstly, let's take stock. Um, let's talk resources, right? How, obviously, South Africa is a diverse resource landscape, uh, particularly in the energy space. Um, how do you think we should be thinking about our resource landscape in South Africa at the moment? Yeah, you know, um if you asked me a few years ago, it would be a different answer. But now mm. I think, and I'll speak specifically for for energy, right? Uh, I'm of the view uh, now uh, than than before that we we probably have to think more regionally. Um, so if if you want to talk about the, the uh, energy landscape or resource energy landscape for South Africa. Mm. I would say maybe broaden the topic a bit more about regionally because um, uh, if if you want to solve a problem in South Africa, you cannot ignore Lesotho, Swaziland. Mm. So we, we we almost have to think regionally. And the reason I say so is, um, you know, some countries are not as well endowed as others. Of course. Mm. Um, and and therefore. If you ignore the others, uh, it then also compounds your issues. Mm. Uh, I I spoke uh, a few months ago in a, in a in a conference, and I said we we have to think of how do we do build a regional transmission system, mm. uh, and I called it a, a sort of an Africa super grid, right? You know, where anyone who's got power is able to then um, put power in that grid, and then it gets, you know, evenly shared. Mm. Because uh, also out of my interest and in, 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 uh, passion around making Africa productive, we, we you you can't 
have a hundred percent electrification rate in South Africa, mm. and yet, you know, Lesotho sits much lower, right? So yeah. mm. we have to have that conversation. So how I think about uh, the resource landscape for, for South Africa, I think what South Africa has is, is well endowed, of course, uh, but but it also has to think regionally, mm. uh, and and it's easier for us. We've got coal, we've got great sunshine, we've got wind, and, you know, we're well endowed. However, we don't have much gas, mm. right? So, and we do need it. So, if we are not thinking regionally, then we might not able to benefit from what gas could do for us. Mm. Uh, and similarly, uh, the other regions as well. Yeah, and I think that's, that's an incredibly important perspective um, because ultimately, together, if we work together, we can actually build a much more sustainable, much more robust um, energy system that's able to actually empower, you know, many, many more people, many more millions, tens of millions of people together. Um, and I think you're right. Often we we do think of it sort of as in isolation to say, well, how do we solve the problem here? But then we say, well, actually, hang on, you know, we need to think a bit broader. You know, what about our neighboring countries? Um, who, for example, may have natural gas, um, you know, that we can, you know, for example, so to, to think slightly different from a regional perspective. Um, and I think really that's that that's a, an interesting perspective on how we can build energy security um, within within Africa. And 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 also, I mean, uh, you know, having if you, if you travel around, right, so you mm. would see, you know, why are we having a Europe? You know. <laughs> Mm. Uh, because they thought regionally. Yeah. Didn't yeah. think Germany, France. Or, no, no, they thought regionally. Mm. And the minute they started to talk regionally, it does not say you do not have self-interest. No, mm. of course you do. But I think you open up a door uh, to cater for what your neighbor has. How can you use it, and vice versa. Mm. And and then and then you start having a, a, a much more successful region. Mm. Uh, and a block, mm. uh, and I think that's something that we we shouldn't we shouldn't um, give up on. You know, the, that's why I'm I'm quite excited about the Africa free trade, mm. uh, um, strengthening that and, and getting that into reality because it will open up and unlock some of these, uh, right? For um, sure. Yeah. For sure. I, I think that's an incredibly you know important point. Um, just around the fact that actually. It, it, it probably, you know, it, it, it still does empower South Africa, um, even more so than if we just thought in isolation, for sure. So who do you think are the essential role players um, in this discussion in terms of, you know, building the energy future? And, and more, you know, also adding on to that question, you know, what is the role of the sort of young professional um, in South Africa currently within this discussion as well? Mm. Yeah, one of the, I'll start with the, the, the last point. I think one of the things that I don't see a lot is, um, uh, at least I wish it could be a bit more than what it is currently, is uh, young people uh, playing a role mm. in shaping uh, energy future, right? So um, we the reason I, I want to see that a lot more is they probably will sit with these decisions that were taken 
I won't be there. Eh? So you, you uh, <laughs> and, and the others are going to sit with some of the decisions that we've taken. So I think that's the first sort of a reflection that I have is that I think we we tend to leave uh, a lot of the younger people uh, out. Mm. And uh, they too need to play a much more stronger uh, role mm. uh, in some of the decisions and shaping it. Um, um, so I think that's a, call it one of the role players. I think that's one that we we probably have to do a bit more on. Um, but I think the the core of um, if we want to build the energy future, the core for me, especially we see it in Africa, is around um, the public sector side. So this is from a policy perspective because is having a conversation yesterday with someone that um, you know if we are able to give certainty on policy it then invites everybody else to come and then plow into that building that sector right mm. um, and and I think that's that's for, for me the first sort of a necessary ingredient and then from there then you can have um, your financiers your developers and so mm. on the rest of them but but i think if if you are able to give comfort you are able to give certainty if you are able to give assurance on mm. policy um, that particular in south africa in south africa's case um, we are going to take then it opens up a lot more opportunity because even the young people we talk about around training around uh, uh, upskilling or experience and building up their knowledge base and so on Mm. They all stem from a sense that uh, as a private sector, I have a certainty about what the government is going to do, what the policy direction is that enables us to then employ more, train more and, and so on. So I think um, we first have to look at what is the prerequisite and then from the, the, the necessary role players um, will, will come in. And then I think just just to circle back on the the young professionals one, um, there is a role. I, I think if anything, uh, I I wish we could see a lot more. Uh, <laughs> in my preference, I would probably want to see. I'd like to see a lot more engineers in decision making roles, um, because the the there's a lot that demands a bit of a science. Mm. We we approach a lot of decisions in my view so um i think there is a role uh perhaps maybe we we're not opening as many doors for those young professionals to come in mm. and play an active role in it but but i think it's something that i i still wish um they could come closer and and get into um, also having a say to some of these um, these decisions that are being taken Mm. And I think, you know, when you talk about policy, right, that's that's almost the foundation to the house that we're building. Um, you know, when you talk about certainty, you know, the image in my head is, is a is a strong foundation, um, you know, in terms of what is the actual foundation that we're going to build this, you know, energy house of, of the region um, of the future. What is that foundation? And I think it is incredibly important to have young people who are decision makers, as you rightly point out, because they are the ones who are going to have to live with the decisions, because um, often the consequences is felt, you know, much, much later. Um, 
Exactly. Equally so the benefits as well. I also felt much, much later on, um, you know, a generation or two past for sure. No, I like that. I think the the the, the foundation certainly is that. Mm. Um, and uh, and I think it's it's also about the sense of building a, a stronger pipeline, right? Of, yeah. uh, of decision makers. Yeah. On the chain. Then when you hand over, we are handing over to something that could always be added on and improved on, uh, mm. as opposed to always rehashing and restarting again, right? Uh, mm. You don't see that progressive growth. Yeah, and it, it is a, an interesting sort of landscape that is changing. I mean, even this week alone, we saw, you know, an interesting announcement around, you know, the, the one megawatt to 100 megawatt, uh, you know, cap that's been lifted um, on, you know, providing power without, you know, a license. Obviously, there will still need to be licensing and all of that to connect to the grid, you know, to make sure that everything is in the, you know, everything is sound and in the right space. But I think it is an interesting sort of landscape in terms of the policy the policy landscape current in South Africa. Um, but I think even more so is the need for us to have this discussion and for us to engage on this topic to build, you know, the community of, you know, professionals, people who, you know, want to build a sustainable future for South Africa um, to come for sure. And ultimately you spoke about decision making. Um, how do we how do we actually improve this right in managing our existing assets um, better, um, as well as you know thinking of the assets of the future? Um, what how do we improve our decision making, and what are the key critical things that we actually need to focus on to improve in that space? Yeah, I, I, you know. Um there was an earlier point around knowing yourself that you made. Um, you, you you cannot make good decisions if you don't know yourself. And, mm-hmm. and I think as a country, we need to be very clear mm-hmm. about ourselves. We need to be very clear about what we want. Um, because out of that clarity, then you are able to gauge whether is this a good thing for me or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the current conversation at least uh, that started was uh, uh, energy transition, you know. Mm. And of course, I, I w- working with the Germans, uh, we too in the organization are talking about energy transition and so on, right? And then when you come to South Africa, South Africa says, oh, well, uh, actually, it is not energy transition, it is just energy transition, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then mm. you say, ah, okay, that's clear. For me, that is ultimately a good reflection on now we are starting to understand ourselves we are starting to understand what we do need to do then you are able to open up a door for decision making because when you start saying no uh, you know to the europeans and say no actually for us it's not energy transition it is just energy transition yeah. For me, it sends a, a good sense of confidence around what we do need to do to manage our assets better. Yeah. yeah. Because you've defined what you really want to cover, right? So that's a critical part for me. The first one is know know yourself, know what you really want to do. Mm. Then, of course, uh, like any other decision making uh, role that you have to fulfill, you need good information. Yeah. And the necessary ingredient for us for good information as a country perspective is um, the go and benchmark. 
uh, go and learn, go and consult, uh, go and speak to various people, mm. um, and then add up all that information to then decide, based on what I know and what I want to achieve, what then should I do, given the landscape? So in this case, collaborate with the Europeans, collaborate with the um, Asians and Americans, and everybody else in, within Africa, mm. and then come back and say, uh, okay, so, this is a best, best set, uh, cause of action for us in, in order to, to manage our assets better. Mm. Then I would still come back and say the last part then from there on is to ensure that you have a good pipeline of people and talent and skill sets. You, know, you talk about engineers, non-engineers, we all need those to be able to improve your decision making. Mm. One thing to make a decision, good decision now but if you want to improve your decision making, you need the diversity of the people. Yeah. You need the uh, the multiplicity of the the mindsets that you have mm. in the room or in the in the topic itself. Sure. Uh, th those for me, I I think those are necessary ingredients um, that will improve our decision making. Uh, mm. Mm. And I think those are those are critical ingredients, right? That that you've shared. Um, that I absolutely think we need we need to take heed. Um. First, yeah. around knowing yourself, <laughs> um, what are your requirements? What what are you know what what makes you different in terms of your requirements? What makes you different in terms of your capacity and your ability? Um, you know, and around also you know thinking towards in the future in terms of the the information that you have, having the right information, having um, a diverse you know team of people, a diverse pipeline of people who are coming through who can bring in you know different perspective and views, I think is incredibly important. So thank you very much for for sharing that with us. Tabo, unfortunately, that does bring us to an end. Uh, that was by, unfortunately, but um, this was an absolute uh, yeah, absolutely insightful, impactful um, interview and chat. And firstly, I just want to thank you um, for availing firstly of your time um, to chat with me and, you know, with our listener community um, to helping us to build, you know, the Impactful Conversations community um, to educate and to inspire people. I have absolutely no doubt that that has happened. And, um, you know, if anybody is listening to this and watching this once we do, you know, publish it, um, absolutely no doubt that that has happened. And I absolutely no doubt that uh, many, many people are better for it and uh, for having listened to you, give your insights, uh, give your take on, you know, how we can build, you know, the future, particularly, I think, around the perspective of, you know, thinking bigger than just us. Um, thinking regionally and thinking sustainably um, in terms of building what yeah, I think you called it the super grid, uh, the African super grid. Um, absolutely love that. And thank you so much. I hope that you've also uh, enjoyed it as well and enjoyed the experience. Yeah, I did. And uh, and thanks for the opportunity. I think uh, this is a this is a wonderful um, uh, platform. Uh, so I would encourage you to uh, to reach out to as many people as, as possible. Um, I do not uh, consider myself an expert per se, but but I think I I, I have uh, I've had sufficient and and I still enjoy the exposure that I've seen, and it's important that we we start packaging these conversations, right? Absolutely. Uh, because Absolutely. maybe what I have shared, someone can build on it, 
yeah. someone might have a different perspective mm. um, and, and it's good. So I, I thank you for the opportunity as well um, and uh, the invitation. And um, I wish you all the success with this platform as well and uh, the conversations forward. Thank you, Tabo, and uh, the honor is the honor and the pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much. To to you, the listener from Tabo and myself, thank you very much for listening to our uh, fireside chat. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've taken you on a wonderful journey, uh, which has now come to an end. But uh, we look forward to seeing you in the next uh, episodes on this platform. And I look forward to welcoming Tabo back again sometime in the future. Uh, but from him and myself, we want to say thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you. We take care. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to the episode hope that you impacted positively and that you found substance and significance. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please subscribe to this podcast and give it a five-star rating. You can also check out and subscribe to our episodes in video format on the Impactful Conversations YouTube channel. Do head over to our website, impactfulconversations.co.za, for more details about the show, as well as to give us any feedback of how you found the show and to send through your questions to our future guests. Thank you to all of you who have listened, subscribed, and given us feedback. It really does mean an incredible deal. But anyway, until the next episode, bye-bye, stay safe, stay healthy, and wash your hands.